listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I am your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric will try to answer them. I've got a lot of fun things in my shop right now. I'm doing some work on a 30s Martin a Koa. It's got a Koa body. It's actually, it was made uh, to be a Hawaiian guitar, and I'm converting it to a, a Spanish-style guitar. Wow. Yeah, for a customer. it's. I have a little bit of heartburn about modifying a vintage instrument like that, but as a Hawaiian you know, you'd play it lap style overhand with a with a tone bar right. with a slide. That has such a limited appeal. Very, there's very few players that could use that guitar, and right. to convert it as a Spanish style, where you'd play it, you know, like a normal guitar, um, it makes it a much more usable and really, honestly, much more valuable instrument. So, cool. I, I don't mind too bad doing doing this modification, but I I do generally shy away from modifying vintage instruments like that. Right. What what does that entail? What do you have to do to it? Well, um, it has... uh, The neck angle is wrong Mm. for Spanish, so the the neck has to come off, and it needs uh, a a different neck angle. I'm putting a different fingerboard on it. Wow. Yeah, because the existing fingerboard has what's called bar frets. And they're really, really old-fashioned frets that this customer does not want bar frets on it. He wants modern-style frets. So I found a really nice piece of ebony, and I'm making a fingerboard and cutting the slots, which I had to... You know, they don't really make... So here's the deal on this guitar. This guitar is a true um, 24 and 3 quarter inch scale. And most guitars that they call 24 and 3 quarter inch scale are actually not. They're actually a little bit different. They vary. Um, But that guitar, uh, I tried to use a pre-slotted fingerboard from uh, a couple different luthier suppliers, but it just wouldn't work. The the fret slots are just slightly in the wrong place. They're not... uh, uh, they're not going to work. So I have to slot my own fingerboard, which is no big deal. So I took 
a really nice piece of ebony that I was able to get and uh, cut the slots in it. And I have to radius it and cut it down, you know, to fit on the neck and glue it to the neck and reset the neck. And it'll need a new nut. It'll need a new saddle. I might even have to move the saddle to make it intonate properly. But wow. Yeah, it's kind of a big job. But So that sounds like a pretty extensive thing you're doing. Uh, yeah, but it's fun. Cool. That's, that's a fun one, and it's going to turn out really nice. Cool. Mm-hmm. What else am I working on? A really crazy Epiphone 12-string acoustic that somebody did a neck reset on who knows when, but they really botched it. There's just wood putty, just like almost a quarter inch of wood putty. Oh, dear. Yeah, between the neck and the body. They really messed it up. I'm not sure what I'm going to have to do to make that right. Once I get the neck out, I'll be able to see more what I'm up against, but I think I'm going to have to add some mahogany to that neck Ouch. to to make it right again because whoever tried to reset the neck removed a lot of wood and then just spackled it back together <laughs> and they didn't know what they were doing it's kind of sad but i can make it work i can make it happen it'll be all right cool um we've got a lot of good questions uh I, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode probably because uh we're both not feeling super hot but doing a little bit under the weather we're everything's okay. good yeah. everything's okay um, but we've got uh, some questions. We're going to get right into it here. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. I stumbled across the Fret Files podcast, and I have loved every episode. I am very impressed with what I have seen of your work. Someday I hope to be able to own one of your guitars. Do you ever build P basses? Man, your attention to detail is spectacular. Keep doing what you do. You are a true craftsman. P.S. Every man needs a good partner. Sounds like Melissa's the right one for you. Sincerely, mm. Paul A. It's true. She really is. Thanks, Paul. I don't build P bases, but I really would like to in the future. I, I'm, I really want to expand into that. I've had a lot of people ask, and uh, it's something that I definitely want to do. I've made, I'm working on guitar number 112 right now. Wow. So. So I've made 112, and maybe a few more, because I think I made some without serializing them way back in the day. Right. I know I did. Well, you haven't had time to build other stuff until no, but very recently. Yeah, I do. I, I really kind of do want to get into P-Bases and maybe a couple other things. It just depends on... Uh, on it just depends on how many custom orders I get. Right. Because if I'm swamped with custom orders for what I do currently make, then I'm not going to get into P-Bases anytime soon. But, um, yeah, Paul, if you're really interested in one, email me and we can talk about it. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Hey there, Eric. First off, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to chat with me the other day regarding that 56, turned out to be 57, Telecaster. <clears throat> oh, yeah, he's considering buying this guitar. Wow. He, yeah, he just wanted to... He wanted me to get a look at it and see what he had there. Cool. I have one quick question, a topic suggestion, and a product inquiry. Until two days ago, I had never tried my hand at fret dressing. I have a medium-quality Washburn WD-41S acoustic that I keep as a backup guitar to my Martin. I decided it could use a fret level, and after a few beers, <laughs> I found myself over top of it with a flat file. That's never a good idea. Nah. I did a pretty good job of leveling the frets, then I moved on to a crowning file. It is a three-in-one crowning file like sold in Stumac, only mine is a Grizzly brand, probably Asian-made copy. 
I wasn't sure which of the three sized files to use, so I ended up rounding over the entire fret and really made a mess of them all together. I called it quits. By the way, to make things harder, this is a bound fretboard. Hmm. Today, I took a more serious, sober stab at it and found that I got better results using a straight file to crown the frets one side at a time. I then used progressive grits of emery boards, your nail file suggestion, to remove scratches. I am pleased with the results. My only issue now is dressing the fret ends. I cannot seem to achieve a uniform, clean fret end from one to another with my tools on hand. Keep in mind, I do not have a bevel file. I was attempting to bevel each fret separately, and that could be my issue. What files do you use to bevel and dress ends? Thank you. So before we move on to the rest of his question, let me let me uh, address that. Um, so to do the fret ends, the best way to do it is is to use a file that spans multiple frets. And I do have I do have a beveling file that's specifically set at a particular angle in a wood block, and the wood block um, glides over the surface of the frets. And the beveling file hangs over the edge of the fingerboard at a certain angle and angles the fret edges all in a uniform angle. Sure. So that's a really nice way to do it. If you don't have one of those files and you don't want to get one, you can. You should be able to use whatever whatever long flat file you used to do, to do the fret leveling, but just hold it at an angle and run it down the sides of the frets. You want to really be careful um, because what can happen, or what, what I've seen happen a lot of times is, um, you know, as you, so you start at one end of the neck, you move the fret, or you move the file down all the frets, and, and then you stop at the other end. And what's happened is you've actually taken more metal off the frets in the middle because when you when you put your file on this side of the neck and then move it down and then stop at the other side of the neck the frets on the ends get didn't didn't get filed as much as the frets in the middle oh right and so when you then you'll sight down the neck and you'll notice like an indentation swooping inwards hmm. uh towards the strings on the side of the neck so you have to be careful doing that by hand you really have to be cognizant of how much how much you're taking off and how you're what kind of job you're doing there uh, to make sure that you get a straight line, make sure that it looks right. But you should be able to do it with just a long, flat file, and then, and then after you're done filing, um, you can take those uh, nail file emery boards and uh, run them down like you did with the file, just to take the the file marks out, and then you can polish them up. Cool. Yeah. So he says that this is a bound fretboard. So, but he doesn't yeah. say whether it has nibs or not because that's S- a same complication. Deal. Oh, right? it's it doesn't. It's a washburn. It oh, doesn't okay. have nibs. But okay. Uh, topic suggestion. Much in the spirit of your guitar horror stories, it would be neat to have a best finds segment. Yeah. An episode where folks share the coolest guitar finds. Example: Uncle Johnny left me a fifty-two Tele, or I found a Les Paul in the garbage. I, I would like to hear yeah. that story. If anybody has something like that, send it in. I'm, you know, I was thinking about this. I don't think I'm going to do the horror stories next year. I don't think we're going to do it anymore. Oh, really? I really had a hard, it was like pulling teeth trying to get horror stories out of people this mm-hmm. year. And uh, I don't know, people, yeah, people just didn't want to participate. So 
I don't know. I'll think about it. Maybe we'll try it. Okay. Lastly, the other day, you took the time to explain in detail what all went into your pinup custom guitars, seen at pinupcustomguitars.com. I think the listeners would love to know how far in detail you go to recreate the T-style guitars of the 1950s. How authentic are your guitars? What what sets your guitars apart from the rest of the herd? Are they more accurate than other builders? How so? Thank you both so much for the awesome podcast. I hope this wasn't too long-winded. No. Your pal, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, he was asking me about, you know, all the nitty-gritty. All the nitty-gritty details of of uh, what I what I do on my builds to make them accurate recreations, and uh, I do things like you know those those old bodies were made in the fifties. They were made on a pin router, mm-hmm. and a pin router has two pins that hold the wood in place as you route it. And then when you're done routing it, you can fill the you fill the holes with dowels, and so those old fender bodies from the fifties have dowel marks in them wow where there's there's holes in the bodies that have been filled with dowels and cut flush with the rest of the wood and so i do that i do i put dowel marks in mine wow there's a router hump on the uh, treble side of the neck pocket there's just a little hump there uh you know the my guitars have the router hump they have the flattened area on the jack you know all the little all the all the little obsessive compulsive nitty gritty details <laughs> uh they're pretty much you know as close as I can get really i mean it's it's not so close that it's going to fool anybody because I of course use a different logo on the headstock and have a different headstock shape, and you know you open it up and there's modern pots in there, and right. you know I'm not going super crazy. I have built a few where I used new old stock fifties pots and old capacitors. But I don't have a steady supply of those, so I can't really build right. those in any kind of numbers, <clears throat> you know. And honestly, it's a bit silly to put sixty-year-old pots in a in a guitar, in a new guitar. I don't know. I in a new guitar, it is. If 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 it if it's a vintage guitar, it makes sense. But yeah, I'm just going to use new pots. But yeah, thanks, thank you, Jeff. Hi, Eric. I really think the show has gotten better since you started doing them weekly. I can hear you and Melissa getting more comfortable and tighter in a performance sense. Keep up the good work. I enjoy it. Thank you. I'm trying to get better with wiring. I'm pretty handy, but it is not my forte. Question one, why is it on a Les Paul with the switch in the middle, when you roll the volume off on one pickup, the whole guitar goes off? Is there a way to change that so the one you didn't roll off stays on? I've been studying the diagrams and I can't see why that is. On my Gretsch, I can do that, but that guitar has another volume knob in the mix, a master volume. I love my Gretsch. Can you point me in the direction of a wiring diagram for two P90s, two volume, two tone, three-way switch that doesn't cut out when you kill one of the pickups? Thank you so much. Dean from Bow. Right on, Dean. I can do that. How's life up in Bow? Uh, I tell you that it's interesting they um typically they wire epiphones this way the way that he's asking the way that he wants oh really so on a on a two pickup gibson and you have the switch in the middle so you're using both pickups uh-huh you roll down one volume control mhm and you get 
to a point, you know, you roll it all the way off and uh, it cuts all the sound. So both volumes are master volumes when you, when when in the when middle the switch position. is in the middle. Yeah. I don't know why they do it that way. They just do. I guess they figured at some point in time, a long time ago, they figured that that was more practical. So um, the the way the uh, the uh, the way to do that is it it depends on how you wire up the uh, the volume control. When you wire up your volume pot on a typical Gibson uh, schematic, you'll see this. The pickup comes in, the pickup hot wire comes in to one side of the pot, mm-hmm. and then the the middle lug of the pot goes out to the switch. Okay. You want to swap those two. Oh, okay. So the middle gets hooked up to the hot pickup? So the, your pickup comes into the middle lug, and then out will be the... Uh, the other the other lug the lug that's not grounded to the housing of the pot okay yeah so um and that will change the wiring so that when you're in the middle you would have to turn down both volumes to get no sound oh okay yeah interesting and I, you should be able to find a schematic to do that but now now that you know that that's what's going on uh you should be able to take any standard like les paul schematic and just swap those two wires for each volume control well that sounds pretty easy yeah i hope i explained that right thanks dean thanks for your question hey let's uh let's take a quick break here sounds good okay hey guys it's eric if you've been listening to the show for a long time you know that i've been repairing guitars for a long time building guitars too Uh, If you've got a guitar that you need help with, I really, I would love to help you. I take repairs from all over the country. Sometimes a guitar is really special and and you really are careful about who you take it to. If you don't have a person that you can really rely on in your area, I would love to help you out. It's really easy to ship a guitar these days. I do it all the time. It's nothing to worry about. You can insure it, uh, ship it to me. Maybe you've got a repair that needs to be done. Maybe you've got a a pickup that needs to be rewound. Get in touch with me and uh, we can talk about it. You can send me some pictures of it. We can see what I can do for you. Maybe I can give you a quote on how much it would be to repair your guitar if you send me some pictures. So let me know. I would love to help you. This is what I do. This is what I specialize in. I repair guitars. I kind of specialize in in vintage Fender restorations, but I do all kinds of work. Finishes and pickups and electronics and neck resets, broken headstocks, you name it. I would love to help you. So get a hold of me. You can do so through my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And I look forward to helping you. Thank you. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. 
So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. C-O-Leather.com. Hey, Eric and Melissa. How's everything over in Idaho? Pretty good. Potato salad must be huge at parties over there. It actually is. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Uh, Eric, have you ever done a rub-on stain on guitars? What's the basic approach to it? Thanks for all the great podcasts, you two. Regards, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Thanks, Jonathan. I I haven't done a whole lot of of rub-on stains. Um... I used to do that on necks. I liked the way it looked for a while. Um, the trick with stain is that on guitar bodies and necks, there's sections of the neck and sections of the body that are end grain. And end grain really sucks up stain a lot more than the surface. So you end up with dark spots if you don't do it just right. There's right. a couple different techniques to get it uniform. Uh, what I used to do would be... Um, if you wet the spots that you know are going to get dark, if you wet the spots, uh, this was with a water-based grain or, or a water-based stain. Wet the end grain before you rub on the stain, and that helps uh, to keep those spots from getting too dark. The problem with doing that is it's hard, it's very hard <laughs> uh, to keep it from looking kind of splotchy. Um, so they do make... They do make a product that helps. It's called a uh, like a pre-stain or a, a, a wood conditioner. And what it does is it penetrates the wood where the wood is especially porous or on end grain. It penetrates and makes the wood more uniform for staining. So that's one way to do it. Um, you know, I mean, when you go to rub on stain, you want to make sure that everything's prepped, everything's smooth, everything's sanded to where you want it to be sanded. And then do your wood conditioner if you're going to do a wood conditioner and rub on the stain and rub it off. Um, the wood conditioner, you'll want to follow the, the directions on the bottle. I, sometimes they tell you uh, that you have to wait a day or that you have to wait a few hours or whatever. But you, you rub it on just kind of like stain. You put it on and then you wipe off the excess. And then once that dries or whenever... Whenever the bottle says you can, then you do your stain and you rub it on and then wipe off the excess. Um, there's a whole bunch of different stains you can use. There's water-based, alcohol-based, oil-based. Uh, I've only ever used water and alcohol-based. I really, I mean, oil-based stain is, I've used that on like, you know, other projects, but not, not on guitars. So 
I don't really have much experience there, but, um, yeah, you can, you can experiment, you know, if you want, just go buy a, uh, just go buy a piece of scrap lumber and experiment with staining on it on there. Yeah. And then after you stain it, you know, you have to put some kind of a protective finish on. So you're going to put probably a clear lacquer or a clear poly or something on there. But yeah, it's not, it's not too tough. It's just the trick is to make it look uniform. And it is really nice on wood with figure in it or f- uh, wood with, uh, with any kind of flame in it, like flamed maple. Sure, yeah. It really makes things pop out. And what a lot of people do to make that pop even more is they'll stain it and then sand it just slightly. Oh, okay. And that lightens up kind of the... The high points. Yeah, the, yeah. and then... Um, the grain you know. stays darker? Is that what you Yeah, mean? because uh, flamed maple is and curly maple it just has... Like, the wood is just so... I don't even know how to describe it. Bumpy. <laughs> yeah, but without even being bumpy, you, you can have it sanded smooth, but it's still, after you stain it, you can sand it and it will, it will just take the stain off of the parts that aren't kind of end grain. Oh, yeah, Because that makes the grain sense. is going in and out and in and that out. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Jonathan. Hi, Eric. I am a bass player from Sweden. I love your podcast, even though it's mainly about guitars. I have a question regarding excessive hum coming from my DiMarzio 70s PAF Precision pickup. Hmm. It seems to buzz more than my other P pickups from Fender, Seymour Duncan, etc. The wires from it are really thin, and when I touch the wire with the volume cranked up, you can really hear how badly isolated it is. Do you think it's the thin wires, or is it since it's a ceramic magnet? When I put another pickup in the same bass, the humming stops, and it doesn't stop when I touch the bridge or tuners as it sometimes can with other pickups. Can I change the wires? The backside is kind of glued in. Too bad since I dig the sound and the adjustable pull pieces. Have a great week and a happy holiday. Janae. Jane. I don't know. Jan? Jan? We don't know how to pronounce your Swedish name. J-A-N-N-E. We appreciate your listenership. Uh... I'm not sure without without seeing it. So I I do know what you're talking about on those Demarzios, those old Demarzios. They do have really thin wires. Um, I'm curious if it has any kind of a shielding around the wires, or if it's just a couple of thin wires. If it's a couple of thin wires, you should put a shield around the wires, or you could you could shield the base, and that might help. But just just putting a shield around the wires and making sure then that that's grounded. That might help a lot if it's really just coming from the wires. Um, you know, it's a humbucking pickup, so it shouldn't have too much hum. Another uh, factor is the coils might be imbalanced. If they're not uh, matched exactly, the the farther they get away from each other um, in output, the more hum they'll have. So that might be a factor. I don't know. You asked... If it has anything to do with the ceramic magnet, no, it shouldn't. Um, you could take the magnet out of it and it would still hum. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I would try I would try taking, you know, the braided shielded wire that is on a standard Gibson style pickup. Sure, yeah. Um, you can take that and uh, bunch it up just a little bit and pull the center out of it 
and you're just left with a shield in your hand. You're just left with the braided shield in your hand. But then how do you put that on another wire? Then you can feed it through very carefully. I mean, it's not fun, but you can do it. Feed it through the shield, or you can create your own shield with copper tape. Wouldn't it be easier just to replace the wire? Well, uh... It said that uh, they're kind of, it's like glued in. And I oh. I think I know what they're talking about. It's like epoxied in. I see. So you can't really get in there and do any soldering or a desoldering or replacing wires. So um, you could just clip the wire real close to the pickup and then put in a new shielded cable. But That might not fix the problem. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'd really rather you didn't. <laughs> start clipping wires short. Yeah. That's what I would try to do with it is to shield those wires with, with a braided shield or with uh, with shielding tape. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for your question. I'm curious about vintage Diarmond pickups, particularly the ones you find on some Gretsch guitars. I think the pickup is called the Diasonic. Dinosonic. Dinosonic. Yeah. I scoured the internet to see if I could find a picture of one dissected, but without much luck. My main question at this point is, what is the function of the screws if they are encompassed by the single coil and there are already magnets under the strings? Why are they arranged like they are in pairs and not under the strings? There is a picture nine. There's a picture on. Oh, (laughs) typo. Typo. There's a typo and it really threw her off. (laughs) They throw me off. Sorry. There is a picture on the internet of a pickup with only the pull piece magnets above the bobbin and grouped in three couplets like the screws in the standard model 2000. Inquiring minds want to know, Nat. Yeah, that's my buddy Nat. Um, the, the purpose of the... Have you ever seen that pickup that he's talking about? Nope. So it has magnets, six individual magnets, evenly spaced. Okay. One for each string. Okay. Then next to the magnets it has screws oh but they're like in pairs i think i have seen that they're paired they're paired off and they're they're six screws but they're paired off and they're not under the strings okay and he's saying what in the world are those screws for so i'm wondering can you guess what those screws are for um i don't know they raise and lower the magnet the magnetic pull piece there's like a mechanism underneath the pickup where there's a screw and a spring and then a the the uh, magnet is mounted to a little disc and as you turn the screw the threads force the pull piece the magnetic pull piece up and down interesting yeah because those pull pieces are alnico and you know on a lot of like they have they so they make they make Alnico pickups back in the day, and they still do, of course. But Alnico is almost impossible to machine. So, you know, they wanted to make a pull piece that would go up and down, but they can't machine it. They can't machine threads into it because it, it's very brittle, and it doesn't take machining. So, in order to get around that, they put a screw off to the side of it, and uh, the screw raises and lowers the... Uh, the, the uh, the alnico the pole piece so that's why this the screws are paired off you know there's there's just a it's just a height adjustment for the magnet so so there you have it i will put a, a picture of one of those if you don't know what i'm talking about if you've never seen that 
I'll put a picture of one of those pickups uh, as the show image for this episode. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so there you have it. That's the uh, Fret Files episode for this week. I appreciate so much you listening and participating. If you do want to participate, and I really suggest you that you do, we're not getting as many questions these days, so send them in. Go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show, or you can call or text 757-774-8482. Thank you. We'll see you next week.